the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is Crosswalk with Gino Geraci. We're going down to the river, down to the river, down to the river to pray. Let's welcome, or welcome back. This is Gino Geraci. So glad you could join me on the program Crosswalk with Gino Geraci. It is, of course, the program where we typically take your calls and answer your questions about God. We talk about the historical Jesus. We talk about the Bible. We talk about the Holy Spirit. We talk about worldviews. We talk about world religions. If you'd like to join me on the program, it's 303-873-1935. And, of course, Producer Jim's standing by to take your call, 303-873-1935. And I'm going to read from the American Minute. These are notable events of American significance remembered on the date that they occurred by my friend Bill Federer. And Bill Federer writes for today's date, and I quote, Grandson of Princeton President Jonathan Edwards, he could read at age four, entered Yale at age 13. He was a chaplain in the Continental Army until his father died, when as the eldest of 13, he worked the family farm to pay off debts. He was in Massachusetts' first state legislature. This was Timothy Dwight, who became Yale's president in 1795. In 22 years at Yale, Timothy Dwight created the Department of Chemistry, Geology, Law, Medicine, and he founded Andover Theological Seminary. Dwight pioneered women's education, was critical of slavery and the encroachment on Indian lands. Originally a Puritan college, Yale students became enticed by France's deistic cult of reason, which birthed the bloody French Revolution. Timothy Dwight answered students' questions on faith And by his death on January 11th, 1817, Yale had grown from 110 students to 313 students, with a third professing Christianity and 30 entering ministry. Timothy Dwight wrote in 1798, quote, Religion and liberty are me- are the meat and drink of the body politic. Withdraw one of them, 
and it dies. Without religion, we may possibly retain the freedom of savages, but not the freedom of New England. If our religion were gone, our state of society would perish with it, and nothing, nothing would be left worth depending. Now, I find that fascinating. Fascinating, fascinating, fascinating. Because what he suggested was that if people abandon historical biblical Christianity, we're not going to return to a pre-Christian world. We're going to, we're going to morph into something enti- entirely different. Now, what's interesting to me, fast forward to now, do you realize that only about 6% of the people who apply to Harvard, Yale, get accepted? So getting accepted to one of the eight Ivy League schools in America, including Yale, including Princeton, including Harvard, has been notoriously difficult. The average acceptance rate among the seven Ivy League schools that provided verified admissions for the fall of 2021 was roughly 5.7%. And of course, with that kind of intense competition, it's almost impossible even with excellent GPA and test scores. So how do you get into uh, an Ivy League school today? You have to earn stellar grades and test scores. You have to pay attention to the essays, and you have to distinguish yourself among the crowd. The average SAT evidence-based reading and writing score among freshmen in these schools was 737. The average math score was 762 out of a total of 800 for each part. And so the verbal section score lies at nearly the 98th percentile. So, are there exceptions? And I think that there are exceptions. So, 303-873-1935. That's the number if you want to join me on the air. You know, over the last couple of days, I've been talking a little bit more about the Bible. And um, we've been talking about manuscripts, and we've been talking about the composition and the content of the the Bible. And, um, And so we've got a couple of questions again about what does the New Testament say about itself. And I want to give out the phone number. It's 303-873-1935. That's the number if you want to join me on the program. And I couldn't help but notice, uh, Jim, I hit the wrong button on our messenger so that my entire speech was recorded on uh, the text message so you can ignore it if I send you the wrong message. So there we go. 303-873-1935. Let's see if I can do that, that, and now I've changed. 
the messenger so that I can see you again, producer Jim. 303-873-1935. So back to what I was talking about. What does... What does the New Testament say about itself? So let's get down to real, the most basic question of all. And the New Testament, like the Old Testament, claims to be the Word of God. And this is exactly what Paul writes to the church at Thessalonica. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13, when he says, When you receive the Word of God which you heard from us, you welcomed it, not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God. So Paul claimed that he would provide the word of God to the people who were willing to listen. And as was true with the Old Testament, God's word was conveyed through human instruction. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 13, Paul writes, These things we also speak, not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches. And, of course, the New Testament then says some remarkable things about itself, that it's authoritative, that it's eternal, that it's true. And so, again, we're living in a world where people wonder, why should I accept as authoritative what you say or what anyone says? How do I know it's eternal? How do I know it's true? But the Bible itself and the words of Jesus seem to attest to the Word of God as the final authority on all matters. And I'll tell you why. When we come back, 303-873-1935. This is Gino Geraci. So glad you could join me. I'll be back. Crosswalk with Gino Geraci. Hey, welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. The number is 303-873-1935. I've been talking about what the New Testament has to say about itself. And, of course, some might think of that as circular reasoning. But Jesus said in Matthew chapter 4, verse 10, when he was dealing with temptation, he said, Away with you, Satan. For it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only, sh- shall you, him only you shall serve. Now what's interesting about that passage is he's dealing with Satan. Remember what I said, Satan's tools include lies. And when Jesus said, away with you, Satan, for it's written, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. He makes an appeal to the written word as being true, substantially, literally, 
not metaphorically. Jesus said his words were everlasting in Matthew 24, 35. He says, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. And of course, in John chapter 17, verse 17, Jesus said, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. And so in that sense, both Testaments claim to record the words and the deeds of God. So for the person who's struggling and they go, well, how do I know that the Bible really is the word of God? For many people, what Jesus has to say about it doesn't seem to be enough. But yet, if G, if the word of Jesus isn't enough, why is it that people are so easily willing to accept the words of each other? 303-873-1935. Let's see who's up. Greg, welcome to the program. Hey, Gino. How you doing? Doing good. Yeah, I got a... It's, you know, I, I listen all the time, and it really sounds confusing to me when you refer to Jesus as God and and the Holy Spirit or the Holy Ghost. And the, whole, the Holy Spirit is God and Jesus is God. So I don't know why it's confusing. It might be confusing because you don't believe that Jesus is God, but the Bible makes it abundantly clear that Jesus is God. Because if there is, so the Bible makes it abundantly clear there's only one God. That's right, yes. Yeah, and the Bible makes it abundantly clear that that one God is eternal, immortal, and able to... Um, yeah, he created the heavens and the earth, all of right. it prior to Jesus well, coming here. But Jesus created the heavens and the earth. You see, when, so when you say prior to Jesus coming here, I think that you're right that that God, the Son, takes on a second nature, a human nature, but you don't believe that. No, I believe he was sent as the Redeemer back to God, and no man comes to the Father but through him. Isn't that what he said? He said no one comes to the Father but by him. But he, he also said in John chapter 10, verse 30, I am, I and the Father are one. Now, Well, do you understand that, though, in the baptism of Jesus in Matthew, Luke, and John, when the Spirit came down in a bodily shape and abode upon him, went into him, right? No, okay. wrong, wrong, wrong. Think, but so so think, think about what you're saying. Remember, I just quoted John chapter 10, verse 30. In the context, in John chapter 10, verse 33, what happened? What happens in John chapter 10, verse 33, when Jesus says, I and the Father are one? What happens? How, does, how do the religious leaders interpret what Jesus has said? Well, Jesus understood that God. No, came no, no. Down. Answer my question. The that religious should... leaders are the ones who tried to kill him. Why? Why did they try to because stone him? him being a, when they were stoning him for healing, he they said not. He said not for the good. They said not for the good works, but for you being a mere man, maketh thyself God. And you, he said, a mere man, claimed no, no, to be God. 
Right. No, no. And he so, said, isn't it written in your, your law that I said you're all gods? If he called them gods unto whom the word of God came, the scripture can't be broken. Meaning that if you address everyone that believes in Christ, that God's in them, the scripture can't be broken. No, here's what here, here's what happens. The Jews understand exactly what Jesus is claiming. He's okay, claiming what's to be the God. Twenty of Matthew say you got that one on your yeah. I, I I actually do. Okay, what's it say? In John ten twenty, it it says, and many of them said he has a demon and is mad. Why do you listen to him? Matthew ten twenty. Oh, I thought you said John ten twenty. No, Matthew ten twenty. Yeah. Okay. Matthew. Fear not at that hour for what you speaketh, for it's not you, but the Father in you that speaketh. No, that's not what it says. It says, "For it is not you who speak, but the Spirit of your Father who speaks in you." There you go. That shows that He's telling you that God is in you. All right, and when the Spirit in, Matt, in in John came down at the baptism, it come down in a bodily shape and went in, entered in, and then John says right after that, and I knew him not. Him, a, it was a male like form of a spirit, and he he don't know he didn't know who it was. And and Jesus in his walk says, "Me and the Father are one." I can only do the works that God brings before me. I can only heal those that God brings before me. He knew that while he was walking, God was bringing these individuals to him, and he was to do his will. And to prove that is when he's hanging on the cross, what did he say? Why hast thou forsaken me? God left him in the crucifixion because God no, can't no 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 God didn't leave him this this not is not that's a spirit the bodily spirit of God and Jesus that's a that's a part of a Gnostic heresy no the, no. the, the Bible makes it abundantly clear that that there's only one God there is I believe that the and there's one Lord Jesus and, and, and then and, who sits on the other side of, the, of God? No, in the, no. when he said, "I don't have that right." See, to, see, to you, you, that. you see, may you may be confused, but but the Bible is clear. The, no, i I've I've been to so many churches, and you know what I'm finding out is that if you're all worshiping the same Lord, why do you all have a different angle on it? Because you don't know. Well, it, see, that's what you're saying, that we all have a different angle on it. But you know what? Jesus said, I and the Father are one in John 10, 30. Jesus' disciple calls Jesus my Lord and my God. Um, in, and, and so even so the you Lord in Hebrew. God chose the Lord. Jesus went through his walk, fulfilled God's will. No, no, no. Thomas said, said Thomas addresses Jesus as my Lord and my God. In John 10, the, the religious leaders are accused, they're, they're taking up stones to stone him. This would have been the perfect time for Jesus to say what Greg is saying. You've got it all wrong. You're completely, you completely misunderstand. I'm not claiming to be God, but that's not what he does. 
As a matter of he fact, said, no, keep... he told it straight because we're all created in God's image. You don't no. believe that God's in all human beings. No, I don't and believe animals. that God is in No, no, and no, spells no. I don't believe. Well, well listen, that's, you know, that's how, did, how did all the animals come to the ark? Did, did he give out boarding passes, Noah? Well, I don't think God it's because drew God them is all in, to him. I'm willing to concede that God drew them, but to, to claim that God is in the animals, I think it's a bridge too far. Greg, I got to go. You can hear the music playing, but as always, thanks for listening. This is Crosswalk with Gino Geraci. Hey, welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. The number is 303-873-1935. Greg does not believe that Jesus is God, so that when Gino says... Jesus is God, he said he gets confused. Now, he may get confused when Gino says that Jesus is God, but the Bible teaches that Jesus is God. Greg believes that God is in Jesus and that God is in the animals, but he doesn't believe that Jesus is God. So how do we make a case that Jesus is in fact God. Well, Jesus claims to be God. Jesus claims what only God can do. Jesus claims he can forgive sin. We may forgive sins committed against us, but we can't forgive sins committed against others. But Jesus forgives all sins in Mark chapter 2, verse 7. He accepts worship as God and claims to deserve the same honor as the Father in Matthew chapter 14, verse 33. He claims to be the divine Son of God, a title the Jews rightly understood to be a claim of equality with God. And so when we think about Jesus' own claims, he claims to be God. But also when we think about the traits that are unique to God, creation is the work of his hands. In Genesis 1-1, it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. But yet creation is the work of his hands of Jesus. In John chapter 1, verse 3, he creates the world. Colossians chapter 1, verse 16. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 2. In Isaiah, God is called the first and the last. In Isaiah 44, 6. In the book of Revelation, chapter 1, verse 17, Jesus is the first and the last. In Deuteronomy 10, 17, God is the Lord of Lords. In 1 Timothy 6, 15, Jesus is the Lord of Lords. In Psalm 90, verse 2, God is unchanging and eternal. In John 8, 58, Jesus is unchanging and eternal. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 17, that's repeated as well. In Genesis 18, 25, God is the judge of all people. In John 5, 22, Jesus is the judge of all people. In Isaiah 43, 11, it says that there's only, that there is no other God. He's the only Savior, the only God who can save 
And in John 4.42, Jesus is the Savior of the world, and there's no salvation apart from him. In Exodus chapter 19, verse 5, God redeems them from their sin, and the, the people of Israel become a people for his own possession. In Titus chapter 2, verse 14, Jesus redeems them from their sin, and Jesus creates a people who are his own possession. In Psalm 86, 5, God hears and answers prayers of those who call on him. In John 14, 14, Jesus hears and answers prayers of those who call on him. In Isaiah 43, 13, the saved are said that in, uh, saved in such a way that no one can take them out of it out of his hand. In John chapter 10, verse 28, no one can take us out of the hand of out of his hand, Jesus' hand. In Psalm 97, verse 7, Jesus, God the Father is worshipped by angels. In Hebrews chapter 1, verse 6, Jesus is worshipped by angels. So when we think about all of those things and we begin to add up uh, the facts, Jesus is God. There are those people who believe that Jesus wasn't fully God and fully man. And throughout history, many people have balked at the idea that Jesus is fully God and fully man, sort of like my last caller. They try to resolve this paradox by saying that Jesus was a mere man through whom God spoke, or they might even give him a, a greater title, or they won't just simply suggest that he's a mere man. That, but again, admittedly, the idea that in Jesus, God became a man, I'm willing to concede that that's hard to comprehend. But the incarnation, the truth that God becomes flesh, is the ultimate proof that nothing's too hard for God. And the truth is, taught in the Bible. The Bible clearly shows that Jesus was fully human. I, I, I don't think my caller would, can, would doubt that. He, he would be willing to admit that. As a child, he grows up physically, intellectually, socially, and spiritually. He grows tired. He sleeps. He sweats. He's hungry. He's thirsty. He bleeds. He dies. His body is buried, and he rises from the dead, and he eats and drinks, and people see him, and they see his scars, and they touch his body. But then the Bible also clearly shows that Jesus was and is God in human form. Jesus did on earth what only God can do. He commands the forces of nature in Matthew 8. He forgives sins in Mark 2. He claims to be superior to the Sabbath law in John 5. He gives life to whoever he pleases in John 5.19. And Paul said that God purchased the church with his own blood, Acts 20, verse 28. Paul also said that the rulers of this world unwittingly crucified the Lord of glory in 1 Corinthians 2.8. So is the Father the Lord of glory, or is the Son the Lord of glory? Are there two lords of glory? And of course, 
the amazing passage of Scripture in Colossians chapter 2, verse 9, where it says, All the fullness of God's nature resides in Jesus' risen body. And so, if those aren't sufficient citations to accept the claim that Jesus is God, how about Mark chapter 14, where Jesus stands accused at his trial before the high priest? And the high priest says, are you the Christ, the son of the blessed? And Jesus said, I am. And you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven in Mark chapter 14, verses 1 through 62. You can read the whole chapter. And here Jesus is referring to the Old Testament book of Daniel, where the prophet Daniel says, I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven there came one like a Son of Man. And he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away. And his kingdom, one that shall not be destroyed in Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. And in that reference to Daniel's vision, Jesus identifies himself as the son of man. He identifies himself as the person given dominion, glory, a kingdom, all the people, all the nations, all men in every language that they should serve him. And the son of man has a dominion that is everlasting and never passes away. And Jesus uses the title son of man. And it has a surprisingly strong apologetic value. A skeptic of Christ's deity can't easily dismiss this particular self-designation of Jesus. The Christ referred to himself in this manner is found throughout the New New Testament. And so, Jesus is a human being, and he is God. People might be confused by that, but that's what the Bible teaches. 303-873-1935. Now, back to Crosswell with Gino Geraci. Hey, welcome back. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, the number is 303-873-1935. Yeah, is the deity of Jesus Christ biblical? And so as I've been thinking about it, talking about it, remember I pointed out that in addition to Jesus' specific claims about himself, his disciples also acknowledged the deity of Christ. And by the deity, I don't mean God in him like you're in everyone, but that he is in fact God. They claimed that Jesus had the right to forgive sins, something only God can do. 
because it is God who is offended by sin. And so in Acts chapter 5, verse 31, it says God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and the forgiveness of sins. In Colossians 3.13, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. In other words, this isn't a disputation that people can't forgive each other in some way, but ultimately, can you forgive somebody else's sin against God? Clearly, we sin against each other, but only God can forgive sin against God. And of course, as I pointed out to the caller, Thomas said to Jesus, my Lord and my God, in John chapter 20, verse 28. Paul calls Jesus the great God and Savior in Titus 2.13. He points out that prior to his incarnation, Jesus existed in the form of God. He didn't become God in his incarnation. Jesus has always been God. He takes on not God as a human, but rather as God, he has a human nature. And so Jesus exists in the form of God. Philippians 2, 5, Paul says, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped or, or, or laid hold of, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself. Now pause and think about that. If he took on the, he had the form of God, and then he took on the form of a servant. According to the caller, Jesus didn't exist as God prior to the incarnation. So what was he? But the Bible says he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death. And so God the Father says of Jesus, your throne, O God, will last forever and ever. That's Hebrews 1.8. The speaker is God, and the subject is the Son, but of the Son, he says, that is God says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of righteousness is the scepter of your kingdom. Paul calls him God. Thomas calls him God. God calls him God. John calls him God. John states, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word, that is Jesus, was God. And examples of scriptures that teach the deity of Christ are many. You could go to Revelation chapter 1, verse 17. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead, but he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not, I am the first and the last. Now remember, 
Jehovah is the first and the last in Isaiah, and Jesus is the first and the last in the book of Revelation. Even one of those should be enough to show that Christ was considered to be God by his followers. To go to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4, and all drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. Paul is saying that that spiritual rock that followed them in the wilderness when there was a pillar and a cloud in the wilderness, that was Jesus. In First Peter 2, verse 6, it says, For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I'm laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, that whoever believes in him won't be put to shame. It says, So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe... The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. So when the caller said, you all have your own take, well, no, the historic biblical take on the identity of Jesus is that Jesus is in fact God. He is one person with two natures. This isn't something weird. Now, again, I know that there are people who don't embrace that view, but that's not the weird view. Jesus is given the titles that are unique to Yahweh, Jehovah, the, the, the formal name of the God of the Old Testament. The Old Testament title, Redeemer, is used of Jesus in the New Testament. Jesus is called Emmanuel, God with us. It is Yahweh who says, they will look on me, the one they have pierced. When was Yahweh pierced? But the New Testament applies that passage in Zechariah chapter 12, verse 10, to the crucifixion of Jesus. If it is Yahweh who is pierced and looked upon, and Jesus is the one pierced and looked upon, then Jesus is Yahweh. Paul interprets Isaiah 45, 22 and 23 as applying to Jesus in Philippians chapter 2, verses 10 and 11. So further, Jesus' name is used alongside God's and prayer, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. That would be blasphemy if Christ weren't deity. The name of Jesus appears with God's in Jesus' command to baptize in the singular name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit in Matthew twenty-eight nineteen. So actions that can be accomplished only by God are credited to Jesus. Jesus not only raises the dead, forgives sins, he creates and sustains the universe. In Colossians 1, 16 and 17, Paul writes, for by him, that's Jesus, for by Jesus, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions, rulers or authorities, 
all things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things exist. What could be a more powerful statement? And so the 12 historical facts about Jesus that even non-Christian scholars will admit One, he died by crucifixion. Number two, he was buried. And number three, his death caused the disciples to despair and lose hope. The tomb was found empty. And his disciples believed that he came back to life. That, my friends, is pretty impressive. This is Gino Geraci. Thanks for joining me. Enjoy your evening. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.